1: Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there's an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from.
0: Starring Jerry Depoto And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill, Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the Wheelhouse. It is time again for the Wheelhouse podcast joined by Jerry DePoto. Jerry we're missing someone today. There's no Aaron Goldsmith. It's just me. We've done really well. We have had a conversation uh, at least once a homestand and with day games coming up we're recording this before the Friday game against the White Sox. This was our only chance no TV game tonight. Aaron is gone. But I felt like we had to keep the streak alive nonetheless. So no Aaron, just me and you.
1: You know, once you told me that that there was going to be no Aaron. Today, you turned around and left. <laughs> and, and, and explained why, that this was, you know, an off day uh-huh. you know, on a random Friday. City Connect night here at T-Mobile, the White Sox in town. And, you know, following... An off day. Uh, (laughs) He's got a weekend. I I, I thought, hmm, why wouldn't you want to turn this into a four-day weekend if you were Goldie and, you know, skip out on the wheelhouse and a couple of games, you know, take in Apple TV, sip an umbrella drink in the backyard with the family. It's all good.
0: I can only assume that he is out paddleboarding on the water right now, which is his off-day go-to.
1: There's, you know, my wife and I were big into the paddle boarding. We picked it up on vacation one year, and we were big into the paddle boarding during the years we lived in Southern California. Ah, that makes sense. And then uh, her birthday was last week, and I we didn't bring our paddle boards with us to Seattle when we moved here not really thinking it was gonna be a thing and, <laughs> and lo and behold it is actually a thing. And and uh for her birthday last week I went out and bought like this this uh dual kayak uh paddle stand up paddle like, combo for her birthday so we could try to start doing it again. Nice. You know, it's been too many years that we've been away it's good it's cool activity.
0: Okay. Let's say I mean you never really have enough day, so this question is kind of unfair. But what is your go to summer Seattle activity if you have a couple of hours.
1: Wow. Uh, well, I mean, the first and foremost, I love being in my backyard mm. with the you know with the pizza oven, playing with the dogs. It's like something that we'll do. We have a number of different. You know activities that we'll do around the house. I like playing pickleball. Uh, that's a it's something I picked up a couple of years ago, and uh, I don't think I'm particularly good at it, but I enjoy doing it. Like sitting around in the backyard with uh, we'll ha- we'll have people over play the the normal things. You know, toss the bean bags. We nice. we play a little. Uh, we'll play frisbee things like that. I love throwing a football. Uh, it's uh it's something that I can still do. Uh, oddly enough, I can't really do a whole lot with a baseball anymore these days but i can throw a football and and i'll do that with my son or my son-in-law when they're around and and that's a fun thing but outside of that i'm not tanning on on the rooftop
0: (laughs) 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 which would have been the great answer as far as i can tell every major league reliever also likes to throw the football as we sit here before games and they're always out with the football the frisbee's become a big thing now for uh for relievers as well, so...
1: I love throwing a Frisbee. I, I threw football forever. You know, I, really? I did it. I did it. Similar to what you'll see with the relievers today. Um, mostly I did it because I saw Nolan Ryan do it, and I thought, hmm, if it's good for Nolan Ryan, <laughs> why wouldn't I want to do <laughs> yeah, that? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, you know, at the end of the day, it's a... you were, We used to be taught to long toss as pitchers. Mm. And with get on top of the ball, carry it as far as you can, as long as you can, without leaving your line. You know, effectively throw it like you're going to throw a pitch to home plate and just carry it as long as you can. Mm. And then about 15 years ago, as velocity started to increase and this surge in, in velocity came, you know, the way long toss was taught, uh, Alan Yeager in, in uh, Southern California was really a driver in this, in the weighted balls programs, in the in the bands, you know, that, that pitchers started to use to, to increase arm mobility and flexibility and strength. They also, you know, reinvented long toss where now you were throwing up. You you were throwing up to create this arc with the ball. And the goal was to throw it as far as you could, not as as straight as you could, so to speak. And uh, and that's right in line with how you throw football, Mm. you know, and and uh, that was a long way around. That's why Nolan Ryan was doing it. He just was. Well, I had and apparently much, much smarter than everybody else. Uh, now it's kind of a thing again. and you know, in my ear, we did throw the football, and if you think about throwing the frisbee, you know throwing a frisbee it it gives you that feeling of just backspinning something mm. and the kind of wrist mobility that, that you need to create pitch action, whatever it is, whether you're trying to, you know, whether you're trying to pronate a, a change up or you're trying to rip off a slider, having that kind of wrist flexibility and strength, you know, that snap in your wrist is a good thing. Why not throw a Frisbee? There's always unique ways to train. And, and sometimes they're as simple as something you could pick up at Dick Sporting Goods. That's really fun, too. Yeah, I, I enjoy it on a nice summer day when I have 45 minutes off.
0: That's great. Well, Jared, we've seen the team, I, I guess, since San Diego is kind of where I pinpointed, the start against Musgrove. We've seen a change in how the offense has looked, and it's, it's looked different from this year, but it's looked familiar at the same time. I think uh, we saw the same kind of approach last year, and something we expected to see a little more often this year, I think, where starting pitchers have had to work a ton. They've thrown a ton of pitches. You've got them out early. You've run into two, three-run home runs along the way. In your eyes, what has been the difference here the last week and a half or so with the offense?
1: It's almost like back to the future is the the right answer. We have talked all season long. I know I've said this publicly. I may have said it with with you and Goldie, you know, on on the podcast – Sometimes you just have to repackage. You know the, the 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 way something sounds, the way something looks, the theme. We're doing the same things that we've done for years with our with our offense. It didn't start until we were in San Diego. We struggled badly uh, before that, especially immediately before the, you know this transition mm-hmm. or or the return of our style of play, and we just repackaged it. We repackaged it with a focus on hitting the ball back through the center of the field. And, you know, rather than trying to, to deliver the message of D to Z, getting good counts, you know, do damage, all of the different packaging, just tried something different. Mm. And and lo and behold, the guys seem to have taken to it. And we'll have to repackage it again at some point in the future, hopefully not for a while. But it's uh, – y- you can't use the same language, the same stale references, the same "hey." You know, I, I remember when I was a, a, a pitcher, and the number of times a pitching coach would come out to the mound, and go, "Hey, get your shoulder in." Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's a—you've you, got to do something to create a new focus point so that a player feels like they're improving. They don't feel like you're just giving them the same old. Dale nothingness. And, and uh, you know, I, it's it's nothing scientific. It's nothing uh, super on the edge. It's just simple baseball. Hit the ball back through the center and hit it hard.
0: Yeah, because you strip everything away, and you still want to do the same thing. You want to swing good pitches. You want to laugh bad pitches. I mean, that's when you strip everything away, that's kind of what you're left with. But different players, different coaching staff, different years, I imagine the message has to shift and change depending on who's delivering and who's getting the message
1: you know it does and, and, and when you struggle like our offense did for for about a you know it's three weeks at the start of the season then we seemed to find some traction then we took a couple of steps back then we had a really nice home stand then we went out and had an awful road trip mm-hmm. you know at least the 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 awful start to a road trip and, and at some point you just reach your bottom and and, and you bounce. And one thing that I've said about our team, and it's largely the same guys at the center of this club. There might be role players who, who populate our roster that are different year to year. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the core of our club is pretty constant and has been for a while now. You know, there's every time our group struggles, every time they slump, whenever they get to a new bottom, mm-hmm. typically they bounce higher. You know, when they when they bounce this has been a constant especially for the last 3 years with this team is is you're going to slump during a, a major league baseball yeah. season nobody is is immune to slumping you know it, The great ones slump by going, you know, two for 12. (laughs) The the others slump by going two for 40. You know, it's it's, it's some combination of slump and poor mechanics or getting into bad habits or just needing a new voice, something to refresh, you know, why you think the way you do. What I love about our team is that when they get in that slump, when they get to the bottom, and they've all been to the bottom at some point, most of them this year, they tend to bounce a little bit higher when, when they when they come back up uh, on the, the upswing. And, and we had such a collective slump for a period of time that now, in theory, <laughs> as they bounce together, we have a chance to really do some damage.
0: You know, a guy who's given you a lot offensively and defensively, for that matter, and a guy I don't think we've had a chance to talk to you about very much, is Jose Caballero. And going into the last game against the Marlins, he was carrying a WRC plus that was second best at his position behind the guy on the other side, Luis rise. And I know a hundred plate appearances comparing him to some guys with 200. So it's a little different, but the point being the same, he's been super productive for you in that spot this season.
1: You know, Cabby has really earned the opportunity. He's overcome a ton. Yeah. One of the, the Character traits or or personality traits of our team is we have a fair number of players that that have overcome a lot to get here. You know, guys like Cabby, like Ty Adcock, like Justin Topa, like, and it might be the adversity of bouncing around. It might be like Andres Munoz, the the adversity of battling injury. It might be like Paul Seawald uh, having to, to to battle to recreate yourself that's part of our personality and I don't know that there's a player that really is an example a better example than cabby he's he's dealt with small you know, issues he's dealt with broken bones he's dealt with something in almost every year since he left a ball that stopped him from playing a full season and but when he did play there's the the reviews the the, the evaluations the assessments for what he was able to do on the field were all constantly hey this guy has an unbelievable baseball iq it's a level swing he sprays it around the field there is no one gaudy tool he just does a lot of things pretty well and he has insane baseball iq Uh, is the only way i can describe it and take all those things and put them together and Good defense, smart base running, finding ways to get on, on, on. He's he really is like he's a magnet for the ball, and you know they hit it to him, they hit him. <laughs> yes, is it, they do. <laughs> they said and it's just part of his game, and and it's always been that way. And and I think these he is he has no fear on a baseball field, and and when you pull it all together that's kind of what drives war is is guys that do a lot of things well and there's nothing cabby does that is off the charts you know there's nothing that he does that you're going to create you know tv commercials to, to to you know amplify but when you add it all up it adds up to impact and he's making it every day
0: It's funny the list of guys that you just gave. Uh, If I can promote another podcast for a moment. On Mariner's Pod, our last three long-form conversations have been with Justin Topa, it's been with with Cabbie, and the other one was Ty Adcock. And the common thread is amazing. You pointed out, I mean, Adcock went almost 1,200 days from being drafted to throwing his first pitch in the system. Topa, a two-Tommy John guy who had, in his mind, quit baseball, and then Independent League and the, the rest of the story from there and Cabby, ACL Terry, broken both hands twice. I mean, it's a great point that you make. They have all overcome a lot. What does that bring to a group at this level, do you think?
1: You know, it, it, it's actually one of the things through the years I've admired most. When the Oakland A's uh, are are the best version of the Oakland A's. And this... This could have been a conversation we were having in 1970, you know, <laughs> it's yes. a, or 1980 uh-huh. or 1990. It's a, they 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 cycle through, but when they're the best versions of uh, of themselves, they have a lot of players that overcame big adversity, and they don't let short term circumstance run them down. And you know, so you can build you can build teams or or you know, I guess rosters on personalities on misfit like backgrounds, guys who who love being here, who are humble but confident, who who know that they're good but may not have always been appreciated or given opportunity like some others did. We don't have a lot of entitled players who roll out and, you know, hey, I, I'm so-and-so. Yeah. It's just not the way our team is wired. It's not the way our organization is wired. But we do have a lot of the cabbies and the topas and the adcocks and even the guys that were high picks for us you know, who went maybe a quicker route to the big leagues. George Kirby didn't come from Stanford, where they were playing for the College World Series. He, he went to a mid-major and, you know, was wi- widely regarded as was the level of competition enough to know how good this player can be. You know, Logan Gilbert went through a, a real stuff decline and battling mono in his junior year and, you know, didn't pitch to the, to the level of his, uh, of his reputation. And we stuck with him and we put him in our system and and he flew through he overcame almost every one of our players has something like that in their background and and I think that's so important for development is is you have to be able to to have managed adversity somewhere along the way and you know cuz if the first time that you manage adversity is as a major league player, it tends to be very complicated. And we have a couple of those, too. Yeah. But it tends to be a very complicated thing. And, and uh, fortunately for us, even those guys have overcome.
0: You know, it's the part about the game that I'm so fascinated by the psychology aspect. We measure everything in this game, but that's we can't measure that, right? It's, the, it's a game of failure. We know that. We talk about it all the time. But dealing with it, overcoming it, it's so personal and so individual. And there's no way from our view up here that we can see all the work that goes in behind the scenes to to get through tough parts. But that's a real thing and probably the most important thing in this game.
1: It is. You know, I I think the especially when you're playing 162 games a year and and you're going to go through those slumps, you're going to go through your four for 40. You're going to go through your for 12. You know, you're going to you're going to have two starts in three where you go out and you get your brains beat in and you have to rebound and come back out and know you're good. And that's the thing that I love about watching Cabby play is, is that in, in those you would never know. He, he shows up every day. He could have gone 0 for 3 the day before or 3 for 3, and he comes out and he's got a way about him that is, that is just – it's almost defiant. You know, yeah. I am going to show you that I am a better player. Than the guy standing next to me, and and when you have that, you know, when you have that in you, when you come to the ballpark every day, and and I've said this before, I'm almost certain on the podcast sometime through the years. I was a particularly average major league pitcher <laughs> for a number <laughs> of years. And, uh, and every time a manager came to take me out of the game, I thought they were nuts. <laughs> I thought they were nu- like, oh, my gosh, who are you bringing in that you think is better than me in this moment? And, and if you don't have that mentality mm. while you're doing it, you won't survive you won't thrive in the league it's the guys who question themselves you know the the guy who when you go to the mound says yeah i got it i got you i got you there's they're not going to be around Yeah, it, uh, it's the it's the guy who who doesn't want to give you the ball and and uh, and i think that's you know a lot of what cabby has in his game and and i could say the same about the guys that are sitting down in our bullpen you know for a number of years now we've built our bullpen you know on the mis- misfits, you know, the, the guys who somebody gave up on or, or didn't think much of due to injury or had one, you know, unique trait that we were able to amplify that maybe nobody else took advantage of. And, and, uh, and, I, and it's one of my favorite things that we do because when you see careers start to blossom from guys who, you know, maybe had been very close to the edge, you know, thinking about what they'll do after baseball. And then, lo and behold, boom, they have a four-, or five-, six-year run where they are real contributors in the big leagues. And you know what happens when you're a real contributor in the big leagues for four-, five-, and six years? Your family's well taken care of for many years thereafter.
0: You know, the bullpen is super interesting because last year they were different, but it profiled a lot of the same, a lot of fastball slider, fastball slider for a lot of guys in the pen. This year it's – it's very different, very diversified, I think, compared to last year's bullpen, yet still really effective. Is this a philosophy or is this you were able to target certain guys available and bring them in and plug them in when you needed them? What? How did the this bullpen evolve to what it is today?
1: So I, I think last year, the our bullpen, and I could date this back even to 2021, you know, in 2021, we were specifically looking for pitchers who could ride fastballs mm. or could really spin a slider, you know, and, and we were going to try to, to turn the dials or turn the volume up on one, the other, or both of those traits. In my early years here, you know, we were specifically looking for pitchers who could throw strikes and provide some type mm. of advantage in a matchup. And when when you come up with, I, I guess, unique styles in in those early years we had matchup guys or strike throwers you know quirks you know the on the 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 steve c or the nick vincent's you know i think collectively they threw 180 miles an hour you know but they but they did unique things with the ball to 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 help them compete in high leverage situations and we've Put together pretty good bullpens. Mm-hmm. And you know, and by 2021, you know, we were focused on physical stuff, not yet knowing where we were as a contender in mm-hmm. the league. And our general thought was if we get enough of this physical potential, and we have six, we have eight of these guys, and 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 we give them opportunity, just put them in a position to go out and do it and then turn the dial on their stuff, you know, could we surface on the other side having having found two high leverage relievers lo and behold i think we found like six or eight and you know and and then the 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 thing became all right now how do we how do we diversify how do we do something different you know and we went out and we found guys who put the ball on the ground you know that's where Tope came from that's where gabe spire came from that's where trevor gott came from you know guys who were skilled at creating down contact You know, if you've got big strikeout fly ball guys like a Mooney or Paul Seawald and and Matt Brash, you know, Brash, I guess, is more in the neutral camp Mm -hmm. in the 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 ground ball fly ball. But, you know, you you go get your your ground ball guys to now add another element to that. And, you know, the, the. Now the nuance with having to face three hitters, you know, no longer were you in the market for just the straight matchup lefty. You were trying to find a lefty who could do something unique to a right-handed hitter. That would allow him to minimally be, be able to flip a switch hitter, or you know, face those mm-hmm. the right-hand hitters that are wedged in the middle of the lefties. So finding someone with like a diverse a diverse pitch menu, like you know, a sauce, or even Gabe. You know, Gabe is he's got a sinker, he's got a slider, he's also got a decent changeup, and and these guys can combat both sides, and and that's just something we've never had in our bullpen before. Yeah. So. You know, we're constant. And, and I don't know what the next iteration is going to look like, but we want to keep collecting as many different, you know, unique uh, player traits, pitcher traits as we can. And if you get the guy who has been challenged, who has been, you know, through those adversities, who's overcome, and if you look at all these guys, you look at Sauce, you look at Gabe, you look at Tope, you look at, the, look at their minor league track records. These guys are really good, wow. you know. And if you look at their, their major league stuff, there's always something in a profile where you say, huh. You know, why didn't this work for Gabe Spire in, in Kansas City? He was pretty good at run suppression. You look under the hood, and his his physical stuff was quite good. He's up to 97 miles an hour. He can sink a ball. You know, and the same thing with Sauce. You know, you look when you look at his pitch grades, and we've talked about, you know, how we value the pitch grades, you open up, you know, Saucedo's pitch grades, and you're like, wow, you know, it looks like a starter's repertoire. We spend a ton of our time, looking at players like that you know we don't spend a ton of our scouting time looking at somebody else's number one prospect we just assume (laughs) he's really good right we spend a lot of our time that really focused on guys like sauce and taupe and who can we who can we acquire reasonably acquire that we can send out there that can impact our club and we feel like that is the thing we do best is is find players you know on that part of the the spectrum
0: yeah We've had a chance to see Brian Wu a couple of times now as he made the jump from double-A. What has been your thoughts seeing Wu for the first couple times?
1: Wu is maybe the most unique draft develop and, and, and promote to the big leagues pitcher that's ever come through our system. Mm. Brian didn't pitch a lot in college. He was, a, he was a middling middle reliever at Cal Poly Slow. He had a, he had a good arm. The performance wasn't always there. His sophomore season was blown up by COVID. His junior season uh, was was combination of struggle and then ultimately an elbow surgery, a Tommy John that was going to set him back. He went through his adversities. As we created our pitching programs, one of the things that we've done and we've talked about a lot through the years is you know we have a a, a pitching strategist group and a biomechanical group that will throw interesting draft you know prospects into you know through the lens that they look through through the biomech lens, through the pitching strategist, how does this how does this player move? And we don't know a heck of a lot more than that. you know and Brian, who didn't have you know a standout performance in college, what he did have was he had really bright green, Pitch traits. You know, there are a lot of things happening when he throws a ball that are very interesting. He just hasn't figured out how to how to put it all together and and uh, and turn it into you know a pitching approach. And oh, by the way, we're gonna have to wait a year because he's rehabbing from Tommy John and. It's usually the type of player that will go later in a draft or somebody will try to sign post draft or he'll go back to school for his senior year. So so a healthy version of him can can try to, you know, gain some draft traction. And we went the other way. We just we actually overpaid him (laughs) in in the sixth round of the draft because and I'm going to give 100 percent of the credit for, you know, driving the ship to Trent Blank who is, is our director of pitching strategies, obviously on the major league staff. Uh, he oversees a lot of what we do, coordinates with Max Wiener in, in the minor leagues and with Woody here in the big leagues. And uh, Trent said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. I would take this guy 1-1, and I don't know anything about a draft. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, the, you know, the, the pitch qualities, the way this guy moves, we, we can do so much with him. So then we dug in and we started trying to find out as much about brian as we could you know and and everything we found out we loved i mean it's the preparation he's extremely smart his his attention to detail and his work ethic are phenomenal and we thought there's every box that we would have on the form of you know what we are looking for 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 the mariners he checked truly every box once we started looking under that hood and, uh, you know, we called his agent, Adam Karen the uh, day before the draft and asked, you know, the, about his willingness to sign. And it was, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, if he goes high enough, I think the the idea is just go back to school, you know, rebuild that value and try to find, you know, some traction in what he's doing. And we said, oh, no, we think he's good now. We'll, we'll, we will pay and, and you know maybe it wasn't the greatest negotiating stance we've ever had. <laughs> you know we wanted we wanted him to come out and to join the Mariners, and and we did. We took him in the sixth round. We waited for the rehab to be over, and then we waited a little bit longer. It was a it was a little bit of a, a lengthy stretch, and he went into our system, and it was worth the wait. Uh, everything that that we thought he could develop into started to transpire very quickly. I think the you know that first stretch of time as he came from his his mound progression out to to pitch in game scenarios we were all so excited to see it happen and um when when you see his fastball particularly and the way it explodes to the top of the strike zone how much carry there is through the zone it's uh it's it's pretty phenomenal really the the effect that that he can have on the ball and it comes from when Bryce throws it's a long easy levered he's riding that fastball at high rpms high you know and you can see it jump you know Bryce or or Brian is more low slot he gets under the ball and and it is a it is a, a push and and it is so effortless when it happens that when on the other end you see 98, you're like, what? That's, I, I can't believe how hard it is. And, and he's really worked to, to improve his secondary weapons, and they've come a long, long way. He's a natural strike thrower. Uh, he can really command the ball to his glove side, especially into the top of the zone. He's an awesome kid, very smart, yeah. wants to get better. And, you know, we challenged the daylights out of him in his, yeah. in his you know, intro to the big leagues. He's, he's coming from double A. Thrown less than 100 innings as a professional, really, I, I mean, less than 150 innings since he left high school, and um, and a lot of adversity in between, and then we threw him in there against the hottest lineup in baseball, <laughs> and followed it up, you know, with with uh, a challenging lineup in in Anaheim. And and he handled it like a champ. And and we wouldn't have done it if we didn't fully believe in in his emotional preparedness for what we're doing. He's he's that advanced in his in his focused and his and his confidence in himself. Yeah, he's really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you ready for stump JD? I can't wait. So I've been thinking about the All Star game quite a bit. It's obviously approaching. I look out to the banner, and uh, we're about twenty days away. If it's uh, if you can believe that. So. I want you to tell me who's got the most career All-Star game strikeouts
1: as a hitter or a pitcher? pitcher as a pitcher Yeah as a pitcher Wow the most career All-Star game strikeouts Yeah um I'm going to I'm going to have to go in the Wayback machine here because I feel like the 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 All-Star Game, when starting pitchers were actually starting, starting pitchers and pitching, yeah. yeah. That that's so. It's gonna. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Robin Roberts. Oh, that's a good guess. It's it's but, not correct, but that's a <laughs> that's a good guess. Could it could it be? Uh, can I go with Bob Feller? Bob Feller is tied for fourth. Tied for fourth. Yeah. So you're. That's good. Could it be Lefty Grove?
0: Not Lefty Grove.
1: Uh, am I too far on the way back?
0: Yeah, too far on the way back. Um, hmm. Sandy Koufax. Not Sandy Koufax, but you are really starting to zero in now. Don Drysdale. Yes, Duh. Don Drysdale. There's, it, it wasn't
1: too far. It was, it was only a lifetime ago. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you, you got there. I was actually surprised that you did not get number two. I thought for sure, Tom you yeah, I thought yeah. your mind would go to Tom Seaver directly.
1: Yeah, I was trying to go further back than that because okay. you know when the in when the All Star Game was first implemented in the 30s and then really through the 1960s, the starting pitcher was just the starting yeah. pitcher, and and then that started to change a little bit in the 70s and then by the 80s it had changed. Uh, which goes Seaver pitched 13 All Star innings, which goes to show crazy. how many
0: times he made it to the All Star game.
1: It's a phenomenal oh yeah he had a crazy career yeah I mean, if if people went back and looked at, at, at you know when tom Seaver left the mets and went to the reds it's hard to imagine a a, a better tenure with one team mm. uh, and and what that player you know what he accomplished from 1967 to, to 1977 you know in that in that bandwidth it, it was a. It might have been the 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 single highest impact any one pitcher has had on one team for a decade.
0: To your point, he had the combo that you never see. He had the, his prime
1: couldn't have been better.
0: Yep. Right, great, and he pitched forever. Ever, yeah, still he's forty.
1: Forever. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. And, it's, uh, and, and throughout, you know, the in even at the earliest stages of his career, he had power and he had precision when, you know, a lot of times when when power pitchers come to the big leagues and Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson, you know, they've got one and they're working to acquire the other. Especially in baseball, before technology became as advanced as it is today, if you think about all the power pitchers, like the greatest power pitchers that, that the the game's known, even you know the the Sandy Koufax, the Nolan Ryan, the Randy Johnson, Sam McDowell, the, all these guys had to really. Work through it in the early parts of their career to learn how to become strike throwers. Tom Stever showed up with a fastball in the in the mid '90s at a time where nobody threw in the mid '90s, and he could dot it. You know, and, and that's what made him so special in his time was that he could do all those things. Well, Jerry, you got to it eventually, and uh, <laughs> I
0: appreciate that. We did it. We made it without Aaron.
1: I was sad. I didn't even notice he was gone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. We'll clip that quote. Thanks, Jerry. All right, man.